Um, so uh, a guy named, uh, a pastor in um, Illinois tells a story about a lady, 34 years old, and because of a, a medical situation where there was a misdiagnosis, she actually became blind because of that. And she lost her sight and was probably not going to get that back. And as you can imagine, at 34 years old, she was very devastated by this, to go for 34 years of your life being able to see, and then all of a sudden you can't see. She was devastated. And, and her husband, you know, obviously knew how devastating this was to her. He's trying to console her, be helpful to her. Um, she's going through depression. And even the, the place where she worked, they were trying to be helpful to her. But it's like, if you can't see, how do, how do you do your job? And so finally her husband just starts working with her the best he can. He's in the military. He's a very busy guy. He's an officer in the Air Force. But he's trying to help his wife. So he finally gets her to the point and said, look, we're going to start doing things. And you're going to have to learn things in a very different way. So they started going through. And he's helping her be able to function around the house. And then he gets her to a point where he says, we're going to go back and see if they'll give you your job back. And her place where she worked was saying, we've got something we can put her to work doing, even though she's blind, and we're going to help do that. So what he did was, is every day he had to t get his wife, take her to the business. He had to walk her in, walk her up to her office, put her in that office, get her situated, and then go to work. And this, this was going on, and she was seeming to you know, feel like she was at least contributing again. And it was very difficult, but it finally was killing him because he's an officer in the Air Force, as you can imagine. And her work and where he was, it was just hard to get her, get her there, get her all situated, get back in the car and go all the way across town. So finally he says, look, I've got you to this point, but the next thing I want you to do is I want you to start getting on the bus by yourself and riding to work and getting to your office. And of course, she's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? Now, I, I, you know, we've gotten this far, but you've been with me. I, I, I can't do that. I can't get on it. Because yes, you can. And you're going to have to because we can't keep up this schedule. You know, it's just, it's killing me. It's where I'm not able to do what I'm supposed to do. So for the first couple of weeks, I'm going to get on the bus with you. I'm going to help you off the bus. We're going to get you to the office, and you're going to be able to, you'll be fine. So he did it for two weeks, and then finally he says, you got to do it on your own now. And so he says, on Monday, you're going to get on the bus by yourself. You're going to get to your office, and everything's going to be okay. Now, can you imagine how scary that would be? Never being blind, but all of a sudden you're blind, and now you have to do that. You know you've got the support of the people you work with. You know you've got the support of your husband, but you still have to do this by yourself. Have you all ever been in a situation where someone that loved you forced you to do something that was so difficult? It's not fun, is it? It's not fun being that person that's forcing and it's not being the person that's having to receive that I, I, can't, I can't keep helping you anymore. You've got to do it on your own. There's a lot of people that are supporting you and encouraging you and helping you, but you've got to do it. So she was at this point where she's got to say, I've got to go on this journey by myself. No one's going to be able to do this. It's going to have to be me. I want you to just hold that thought, and we'll get into our sermon, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. So hopefully that'll keep you awake, all right? So you'll be thinking about that. So... We've all had moments like this where we're put in a situation where, gosh, this is a new journey. I've not been there before. I don't know what this is going to be like. Some of you that are um, just graduating are getting ready to say, hey, that's, that's what that's going to feel like. I've not been really completely out on my own before, and I'm getting ready to do that. I'm ready on a new journey. I think about this time of year. Some people... Uh, We've got a couple of staff members that are getting married this summer, and they're getting ready to fill that whole new journey of being married and how that's very different. You know, some of you are like, yeah, it sure is. You know? <laughs> it's just part of life. It's the seasons we go through. But I want us to specifically look at a, a text from the Old Testament today and, and a, a character named Jacob that may be a familiar to some of you. If, 
If that doesn't ring a bell at all, that's okay. I just want to tell you a story. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he had a lot of flaws, but God used him anyway. And I, and I love those kind, of, those kind of stories. But in this text, Jacob is getting ready to be thrown out into a journey that he's never gone on by himself, and it's all new for him. And he's a grown man, but it's still something he's never done, and he's getting ready to go out on it, and it's, and it's kind of scary. So I'm going to give you a little background. Um, Jacob was a twin. If y'all ever heard of Father Abraham had many sons, okay? So his son Isaac had Jacob and Esau. His wife's name was Rebekah, and they had twins, Jacob and Esau. And Esau came out first, and Jacob was actually literally grabbing hold of his ankle when he came out. It's a neat story. That's in the Bible. And they couldn't have been different. They were not identical twins. That what he called fraternal. Is that how you say it? Okay. So one of them was very hairy, and the other one was not. Uh, Jacob was kind of a mama's boy, basically. You know, he loved Rebecca. It said he liked a kind of very quiet guy, hung out around the tents. Um, and with mom and cooked and that kind of thing. But Esau was a guy who was uh, an outdoorsy type. He loved, from a very young age, loved to be a hunter, and he was pretty good at it. And he loved to drag, go kill and drag something home for the family. And his dad, he was really daddy's boy because daddy loved game, and he loved it when he would kill something and drag it home, and mom and Jacob would prepare it. He loved that. So he, you know, a little dysfunction going on, can you tell? You're not supposed to have favorites, but there obviously was. Um, but one day Jacob catches Esau on a bad hunting day and he hasn't been able to find anything, he hasn't been able to kill anything and he comes home without dragging anything behind him this time. And he's starving. He's been out for a long time and he's really starving. And I don't know if he's literally starving, but he's really, really hungry. How many times do we say that? Okay. Usually on Sundays, like, gosh, would he hurry up? I'm starving, you know? All right. So he comes home and he says, I'm, I'm famished. Give me some of that stew you're cooking. And Jacob goes... I'll be glad to share, but it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your birthright. Now, we go, birthright, what is that? Well, the firstborn in the Jewish culture, when you were the firstborn, you got this right, being the firstborn. You got a lot more blessing. You got a lot more stuff because there were a lot more responsibility on you. So he says, I'll trade you that. And he, Esau kind of argues a little bit, but his stomach's going, make the deal, make the deal, okay? So he makes the deal and goes, okay, whatever, give me that lentil stew. So he, he gets the lentil stew and some bread, for his birthright. And, you know, he doesn't really think much about it because, you know, it's not a big deal, I guess, but I, I'm just hungry. So he gets his belly filled up. He goes back out. Hunting is good after this. Don't really think about it a lot. But here's the bad thing. Jacob's thinking about it a lot. He takes this very seriously. I want your birthright. I'm a mama's boy, and mama wants me to have your birthright. And so they're scheming and conniving. Again, this is the kind, and I say this all the time. I know you got sick of me hearing this, but God puts this crazy stuff in the Bible to remind us that people in, that he worked through were crazy, just like us. They had crazy family with dysfunction going on, and he still was able to accomplish his will in spite of all that. So here's Father Abraham, and he's got these, you know, his grandson, and it's, it's craziness going on. So... Basically, um, they, they do plot, uh, uh, Jacob and his mom, they plot to take um, uh, this birthright. So it comes the time where Isaac is getting older and he says, it's time for me to give my blessing. I don't have many more years left. And so mom hears about this and Jacob hears about it. Well, I've got the birthright now, so we've got to sneak in. And dad can't see anymore. He's blind. 
So we're going to have to do some things. So they actually put goat skins on his arms. So when he feels them, he'll think it's his, the hairy son, Esau. And he goes in and, and Jacob's a little, I mean, uh, uh, Isaac's a little suspicious going, are you sure you're my son? And he's putting his clothes on so he'll smell like him. And he goes, oh yeah, it's me, dad. And I'm here. And, oh yeah, I feel your arms. Oh, I smell that smell of wild game. And yeah, and we're cooking that for you. And so he gets the blessing. Well, Esau, meanwhile, is out getting some game. And he comes in and he finds out that, what? You took my birthright, and now you've taken my blessing. And he's devastated because he realizes, I didn't take that seriously, but now they've even connived against me, and my brother has taken my blessing from Dad. And he goes, Dad, can't you give me a blessing? He goes, I can't redo the first blessing. There's no way of going back on that. I didn't realize what was going on, and I'm sorry. And I can, I can, you know, I can talk to you and, and say I'm sorry, but I can't redo that blessing I just gave your brother. So he says, I'm going to kill my brother. He's that mad about it. So mom says, you're going to have to get out of town. And dad goes, that's right. I, I didn't know what was going on. You know, I can't even imagine that whole conversation. Can you imagine that argument? Um, but he says, you're going to have to get out of town. Go to my mom and go to your mom's, uh, my brother-in-law, and you need to find a wife there. But you've got to get out of here because he's going to kill you. So Jacob, to lead up into our, our um, text today, he's, he's got to leave on his own. He's got to go some five or 600 miles from where he has grown up his whole life to this new place where his uncle is by himself. And the whole time he's going, is Esau behind me? Is Esau behind me? I mean, it's kind of scary. By himself. I mean, I can't imagine you're going to go five or 600 miles in that time period of history by yourself, looking over your shoulder, where's my brother? He's going to try to kill me. And his brother finds out he's leaving, and I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell specifically what he's thinking, but he knows What's, what's going on. But it does tell him that he's going to get a wife from where his parents asked him to. And his brother Esau went and got uh, a wife where they said, please don't get one from that tribe. They worship false gods and he did it anyway. And so now Esau, even though all this is crazy, God's working on everybody's heart saying, hey, you know, I had a plan for you. What are you, what are you doing? So let's read what Genesis 28, 10 through 22 as he goes out on this journey by himself. I think it's going to be up on the screen there. So, so Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And like I said, it's about five or 600 miles north of where he grew up. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been camping and used a rock for a pillow? Not been there yet, all right? He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and... Uh, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And they, uh, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised for you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, 
if God will be with me and will watch over me with this, on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, uh, all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And so this is this experience. A lot of y'all have heard of that. The, you know, the stairway to heaven. You know, the old uh, um, Led Zeppelin song. You know, you kind of think about that. I, I was joking with Kevin's morning. I said, man, we should have played that this morning. He goes, really? <laughs> I don't think that would be a good idea. Um, but this is a, is a powerful dream he had. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, when I hear that dream and I think about that, I go, man, how was he able to sleep after all this turmoil that he's leaving from? He knows he's cheated and lied and schemed his way to cheat his brother. He knows his brother wants to kill him, and he knows he's out all by himself on a five or 600-mile journey in the wilderness with none of his family with him. He's just got to go to this place by himself. I don't know how you sleep. This has got to be, you know, when I'm laying, you're laying your head on a rock, that's got to be comfortable. And you're just, you know, back then you're just staring up. Have y'all ever been camping somewhere where there is no way of seeing any electrical lights? How awesome is that? You see the stars like you've never seen them before. And I'm thinking, in that time of history, could you imagine what, how the stars looked at night by yourself with your head on a rock? That's probably amazing. But he sit there, but he goes to sleep, and he doesn't have nightmares and wake up with his brother, you know, grabbing him. He's dreaming about heaven. I'm going, how is he dreaming about heaven? You've just, you know, this dysfunctional family you just came from and all this scheming and crazy stuff. How are you able to sleep? But God speaks to him very clearly. And y'all heard, you know, there's a stairway from earth to heaven. And these angels are going up and down on this stairway. And then the Lord is above the, the stairs looking at all that, that is going on. And the Lord reiterates to Jacob the very thing that if we go back into Genesis a little bit, that he said to his grandfather Abraham, I have chosen you. You are going to be the father of all of this great nation that the rest of the world is going to see how I, re, uh, how I have a relationship with people. You, you are the people that I'm going to use to say this is what a relationship with God is like. You're going to reflect that to everybody else. Your, your kids are going to be like the sand on the seashore, like the dust, he says. He's reiterated that to his grandfather and to his father Isaac. He says, you are going to be the father of all nations. Now he's saying, Jacob, you were part of this. I wasn't kidding when I said it to your grandfather. I wasn't kidding when I said it to your father. And I'm not kidding when I said it to you. You will be the father of all nations. And God's going to use you in a powerful way to let everybody know who I am. And so he hears this again. And I can't believe that he has not heard this before. He goes, that's what my grandfather told me. I remember my grandfather talking about when God showed up that day and told him that. I remember when he said, how's this going to happen? Because me and your grandmother couldn't have a baby. We didn't have a baby till uh, I was 100 and she was 90. What? You know, this is crazy. How did that happen? And then he talks about, I, his dad goes, you realize what a special baby I was? You realize that? God promised us, and, and I finally came, even though you know mom and dad did all this crazy stuff with a handmaiden, and I've got this brother out there that he had to leave, and you know just crazy stuff. They've had to have talked about this all throughout the years, and now he's going, wow, this is God talking to me now, just like he talked to my grandfather, just like he talked to my dad, and now he's specifically talking to me with the same promise. And he promises him, you will have descendants spread over the whole land. You and your offspring will be a blessing to all the earth. I am with you. I'll watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. And I will not leave you until I've done what I promised. Do y'all realize how many times God says that in the Bible? I will be with you. I will be with you. I will not forsake you. He doesn't say nothing bad is ever going to happen to you, but I will be with you. I'll be watching over you. I know what's going on. So why does this deceiver get this kind of dream 
of God's promises instead after all this stuff he's been messing up. I don't know, but it's called grace, isn't it? Why do I get God's favor? I think about that all the time. You know, but God gives it. It's called grace. And Jacob was not alone in these bad choices. I mean, he had a crazy mom. I mean, who in the world schemes like that with their son? You know, that's, that's just kind of crazy. So he, you know, he was not, you know, well, he was, you know, guilty. But yeah, he was, you know, playing favorites, um, plotting against and deceiving one another, disrespecting, all that, on and on and on in this family. And God says, I know that. I'm watching. Remember, I'm at the top of the steps, and I'm watching all this going on, and you're not going to mess up my plan. I'm still going to use you. I only use people who have faults, because that's all there is. That's what I have to work with. So Jacob is blown away by this dream, and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. God, he was in that place. He is. He says, I am. That's how he describes himself in the Old Testament. I am that I am. Even Jesus went on that. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. You know, all that, all that kind of stuff. He's saying, I am. God has always been. But God is not just the Lord in this place. And it seems like Jacob's not quite grasping this. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven that he's just experienced. And I think God's going, no, Jacob... I've been around the whole time. I watched all that dysfunction happen in your family. I was watching over that. I was there right there the day you were making the stew. I was sitting right there at the campfire when your brother came in and said, Hey, give me some of that. I go, wait a minute. Let's strike up a deal here. You know what his name means? Deceiver. That's what his name means. And so every time his brother said that, he's saying, Jacob, deceiver. He knew that. And he was. That's kind of how he lived his life. So, Jacob, this is not the place... This place is not awesome, Jacob. Your God is awesome. The reason this place seems and feels like it's awesome is because the presence of God is there. But God is always present. You've just been missing it. And I say that, y'all, because I think I miss it a lot. God can be with us anywhere. And that's not what... This place, the church is not awesome because it's the church. This place is awesome when God is here. And I believe He's here every Sunday. But guess what? As soon as we walk out that door, God is awesome in your car while you drive with all the other lunatics out there. God is awesome in the restaurant you're going to be and how you treat the server and the people that you're around. God is going to be awesome tomorrow at work. God's going to be awesome at camp next week. God's going to be awesome at school. God is always awesome, and He's omnipresent. Do you understand what that means? Everywhere. Do I grasp that? No. How is God possibly everywhere? I wish I could do that, but God is everywhere, and that's what he's saying. So when I think about that, he makes this vow, and, and, and he, you know, um, it's the place where we recognize God's presence can be sacred, can it? Can you think of a time where you recognize God's presence, and it was a weird, eerie feeling? Has anybody had one of those experiences? I'll tell you about a, a really interesting one I had was in India, um, when I got to go to India in like 1997, and I was about to snap a picture of a lady getting baptized in a river, and I stopped myself, and I couldn't take the picture. Because it was, it was almost like God was saying, this is so sacred, I don't need to take a picture. Does that seem weird? Probably to y'all. But it was just something that was like, this doesn't need to be, I just need to remember this here, not by a picture. And I took her picture later, but it was just something like God was going, this is too sacred. It was just in the wild kind of, I mean, it was a tea plantation. And this lady was getting baptized, and it just seemed so sacred. 
Now, I didn't want to keep going back to that tea plantation because that, that place was sacred. It was sacred because I felt the presence of God changing somebody's life. Now, y'all can look at me like, oh, what? But some of you are going, I know exactly what you're talking about. And how many times y'all have those experiences been not at the church? Lots of times. So God is out there. And I'm not saying it can't be in the church. And for a lot of us, it has been in the church. But it, God is always present. So God it is because of God's presence that is sacred, not the place itself. And God can meet us anywhere. He can meet us anytime. He can meet us any place, anyhow, can he? And say, I'm here. And I'm letting you know I'm here. So Jacob takes his B.C. version of my pillow, the rock, and he pours oil over it, and he sets up this, this memorial. And it seems like a, uh, you know, uh, a reasonable thing to do. This, I want to remember this place, and I understand that. And so he you know, sets up this Bethel. How many churches do we know over the years have been called Bethel? And there's a reason for that. They say, I want to identify. I want this church that I go to, I want it to be the same name, just like that's what they're harking back to. to. This is how um, Jacob connected with God, and we want people to connect with God at this place. And all I'm saying is, is that's great and that's wonderful, but God can connect with us anywhere, and he does. But what if we were to change? And I don't know if you read that when he says, God, if you will be, and you will watch over me, and you will give me all these things, if, the, the, the words we just read said if, but what if we change the word to since? And in the Hebrew, that word can mean if or since. And for whatever reason, the translators seem to put if in all of our English translations. But what if we change that word to since? Because when you hear Jacob saying, if you will do this, Lord, like you just said you would, then I will let you be my God. It's almost like he's the schemer again, isn't he? He goes, I'm working to deal with God. If you, I know you just said all that, but if you'll do that, then I'll let you be my God. And God's going, I'm already your God. You can reject me, you can pretend all that's not true and say, I'm going to go on my own. But what if his word actually said since? And I don't know, y'all, what the right word is, but either way, God's going, I'm going to be faithful. But I kind of like the fact that if Jacob really goes, this was a, a God moment, I'm saying since. Since you're going to do all that, I want you to be my God. Because you're promising that, and I want to have faith in you. I want this to be a relationship that we have. Either way, God does not change his part and did not change his part. God has always been at the top of the stairs, and he's, gonna, he's been watching all this dysfunction in Jacob's family. He's watching over him while he's on a 500-mile journey by himself. He's going to watch him when he gets to the place he's going, and he's going to connect with his uncle, and it's going to be great, and his uncle's going to become his father-in-law. And I know that's, that's weird. Okay, but back then that's how it was. So he ends up saying, I see this beautiful girl and I want to marry her. And then that, on his wedding night, his father-in-law switches the girls and he's with her sister. I know, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I would have left it out, but God's going, this is crazy, this is dysfunctional, but I still work my plan through all this dysfunction. And so he says, I'm going to be watching when all that happens and you're going to say, but you know what, I'll work another seven years for her and it seemed like, you know, just another day because he loved her. And then he will be watching over when he had enough of his father-in-law scheming. And he did a little scheming back to his father-in-law. And the same way he ran to his father-in-law and uncle, God's going to say, it's time for you to run away from him. And he runs away from him. And then 20 years later, he's going to have to face the music and see his brother Esau after 20 years. Can you imagine being twins and not seeing your brothers for 20 years? 
And he has this encounter with him. And it's a powerful story you can read a few chapters on. But God's going, Jacob, I know all this is going to happen. And I'm going to be watching at the, foot of, at the top of the stairs all of this. And I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to forsake you. You're going to think he's going to kill you. But I know he's going to come running and hug you. And that's what happened. But I'm watching over you, Jacob. You need to trust me. And I'm going to be the one that's going to give you 12 sons. There's no accident that you had 12 sons. And that's crazy, y'all, if y'all know that story. He had two sisters that were his wives. And one time one could have a baby and one couldn't. And there was all this, well, since you can't have a baby, you can have my handmaiden. Remember how well that worked for mom and dad? And we're laughing because we go, how did God do this? Because he is God. He is awesome. And so he says, I'm going to do that. And you're going to have 12 sons, and they will become the 12 tribes of Israel, even though you don't quite see that. And even through all the dysfunction, God doesn't show, he doesn't let up on letting us see all the dysfunction of all those 12 sons that they have. Maybe Joseph was the least dysfunctional of all of them, but wow, God did something amazing through that. And the interesting thing, y'all, is eventually those 12 sons would lead us to many times the great-grandson who would be named Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus descended from, Jacob, just like God said. And you know what? We are those descendants too, y'all. We are God's children, and God's been watching us all along the way. And sometimes we feel His presence, and we say, God is awesome! I have a friend that I haven't spoken to him in a long time, but he would never say the word awesome except about God. And he said this, the reason I don't say that is I'm so tired of people saying, this ice cream is awesome, this song is awesome, that team is awesome, LeBron is awesome, because I'm so sick of hearing that. Only one person is awesome. And this guy was not perfect, he was not a preacher, but I tell you what, I respect that guy so much for that. He never let awesome come out of his mouth unless he was talking about God, because he said there is nobody that's awesome. And I go, because I'm guilty of that, are y'all? I say, it was awesome play, awesome car, but it's only God that's awesome. But we need to realize how, God, how awesome our God is, regardless of the place, regardless of how we might feel on a certain day or a certain situation. God is still awesome, and He's still at the top of the stairs saying, I know what's going on, I'm with you. We had a building for 45 years on Washington Road. And it was a place where we met to worship God. But guess what? God did not dwell permanently at that Washington Road building. There's another church there, and God shows up every day in that church. I believe that. But God does not permanently dwell there. We got to come to the school, Arbor Springs Elementary School, and God showed up there. Every, every day He shows up there, whether we were having a worship service or people are being taught there. But God does not dwell permanently at Arbor Springs Elementary School. We came here, and God shows up all the time. He is present here, but He is not permanently present here, is He? And we're getting ready to move into a new building, and that place is not going to be sacred because God dwells permanently there. That place is going to be sacred because we acknowledge that God is awesome. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And where He desires to dwell permanently at all, you know where that is? That's in my heart. That's where he wants to dwell permanently. And if a worship service in this building or at Arbor Springs Elementary or the new building on Highway 29, if that helps us understand that we need God in our hearts permanently, then that's awesome. Hope my friend's not listening. But he wants to dwell in my heart, in your heart. 
And when he does, the world will see clearly who God is when he really dwells in our heart. We had an interesting, I was in Sunday school, hadn't been able to go in a long time. We had a very interesting discussion about that, about laws and grace and, and, and all that stuff. But God wants to dwell in our heart, and he says two basic laws. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we can do that, we really have the presence of God in our life. And people can see by the way we act, that person, God dwells there. It's not at that church necessarily, but it's in those people at that church. And I want some of that. That new building, y'all, is nothing but a tool. I shouldn't say nothing, but it is a tool that God has given us to show others who our Father is and how He can dwell in their hearts. Is that not true? And I know that's why y'all are excited. This is a new place. We can say, and we want you to come here, and we want you to experience the awesomeness of God that we have. And we're going to worship Him together, but we know we're going to go out and show that love through our hearts. So I want to go back to the story. Is it bothering you? You want to kind of have it? So the lady gets on the bus. Her husband's not there. And she gets on the bus Monday. And she's counting the steps just like he taught her to do. And, he's, and she's, you know, gets to the sidewalk just like he taught her to do. He's, you know, she's doing all the things. She gets to the door. And she makes it Monday. She makes it Tuesday. She makes it Wednesday. She makes it Thursday. She makes it Friday. And Friday, she's getting on the bus. And she's putting her bus fare in the little thing. The bus driver says... You are a lucky, lucky lady. I'm envious of you. And she goes, what? Are you talking to me? She goes, yeah, I'm talking to you. Why do you say that? She goes, you know that every day I've watched as you got off the bus, there's been this handsome soldier that's been standing a little bit away from the bus, and he watches you get off the bus every day, and he watches you walk in front of the bus and get on the sidewalk and get into your office, and he blows you a kiss, and he salutes you, and he walks off. You or a lucky lady. Some of y'all may have heard that story before. But that's the way God's doing. He is present in our lives even when we don't acknowledge it or realize it. But he is watching us. And sometimes he's going, I wish I could take the pain away. I wish I could take the hurt away. I wish I could take this away. But you need to experience this to understand your dependence on me and sometimes the others around you. And so when I think about that story, Jacob was not a lucky man. Jacob was a blessed man since God showed him grace. And all of us are blessed because God has shown us grace and promises that he's at the top of the steps and he's looking for us and looking out for us. There's a world out there that needs to see that we embrace that grace and that we offer that, in, that same grace that we embrace to others as well. So today, maybe there's somebody here for the first time that says, you know, I want to embrace that grace. I don't want to keep going on this journey by myself. I want to know there's a God that's out there that's looking over me. And you have that. But you know what? Nobody can, can pull you up here and make you come forward and make you make that decision. It's something you've got to do on your own. You've got to realize it and say, God, I want you in my heart. I need you in my heart. I need you to help guide me. And I know it's not going to be perfect, but because you're an awesome God and you're omnipresent and you're omniscient and you're omnipotent, I trust that you're going to like get me through this life. So we're going to offer that invitation today. Maybe there's somebody that needs to, to name Jesus as their Lord and Savior and say, I want Jesus in my heart. I want him to dwell in my heart permanently. And he, he will do that if we, if we will say, I'm ready. Come inside. So if you need to do that today, we offer that invitation. Or if you're looking for a church home, we are not perfect, y'all. We are always going to be a dysfunctional church, aren't we? Always, because we're dysfunctional people, but we're going to turn to the Lord in the moments of those dysfunction 
and ask him to help us through it, just like he did Jacob and all those other people in the Bible. Because he showed us, well, I'm there. The dysfunction doesn't bother me. I'm going to love you anyway. But he's going to be there to get us through that.